Good morning. My name is Chris Williams. Um, today, Pastor Travis is beginning a sermon series on marriage expectations. In my marriage, at least my wedding day, didn't begin as expected. 29 years ago, on July 30th, Diane and I were married, and it was in the height of summer. When the day started, when I woke up, you could feel it in the air. It was thick. It was, you know, it was really um, humid, and you could tell it was going to rain. Diane's desire and our desire was to have an evening wedding around 6 o'clock. Even closer? Thanks, sorry. And it um, feels like it's close. But, um, and the reason we wanted it at 6 o'clock is so we could take advantage of the bridesmaids holding candles as they came down, came down the aisle. And we could have that effect. So as the hour of our wedding approached, the surrounding area got darker and darker. And there was thunder in the distance and the breeze started picking up. You guys can tell where this is going, right? So right before 6 o'clock, it was really coming down. The church was as dark as midnight, so the candles actually were working for us. It was pretty nice because <laughs> it, uh, it was really dark on there. But um, our church had no air conditioning, so it was about high 80s, low 90s all day, you know, and it was just, and so what they do there, because there's no air conditioning, all the doors of the church were open, so there were fans, the air was circulating around. There's quite a few doors in the church you know, a balcony, kind of like here, and there was, um, they were all open. So just as Diane entered the sanctuary, her dad and, you know, everyone's standing, the bridesmaids have already come down, she's at the top of the church, a bolt of lightning hit right next to the church. Friends, I'm not talking about, you know, it hit and then you wait and then you hear the thunder, like, wow, that was close. This was simultaneous lightning and the thunder started before the lightning came down. I mean, the, the whole church shook, you know, the door panels, everything going on. It was, it just, did. if you look at our wedding video, the, the video went blank. The, the, the lens could not handle the amount of light that was in the, was in the church. But also what happened was, is that the, the, the lightning hit so close, I've never really experienced this phenomenon before, but there were, a vacuum was created in the church. So every single door in the church slammed shut at the exact time. <laughs> So you're looking at the video, it goes blank, all the doors slam shut, <laughs> and you're like, whoa, what's going on? It's a, it's a, it's a sign. Um, but anyway. <laughs> so anyway, just to wrap, we, there was an audible gasp from the audience, uh, you know, the people in attendance, but the power didn't go out, the organ worked, Diane and her dad started down the aisle, and we had the wedding we were dreaming of. Sometimes in marriage, you don't get what you expect. <laughs> Awesome. Sometimes in a wedding, you do not get what you expect. Anybody else have a wedding day that you were not anticipating? Anybody? How about like maybe an engagement or a proposal that you did not expect? How about a spouse that you did not expect? Do not answer. Okay, so um, last spring... Apparently over here we've got a little bit of work to do. <laughs> That's the, the post-service conversation, yeah. Uh, so last spring, leadership, we were working out, um, you know, like we do every year, strategic initiatives for 2017, 2018 now. Um, and then I'm trying to think through teaching emphases that I think uh, will be well-served here. And really there were three things I wanted to hit, um, or at least begin, before Christmas. One was... 
to do a study on holiness, and so that was why we spent all summer long on the Ten Commandments. You know, what does the Christian life lived out in a visible way? What, what does that look like? Um, another teaching emphasis that's uh, important for us uh, this fall is uh, conflict resolution, biblical peacemaking, and so we're handling that through men's ministry breakfasts, men's ministry retreat in November, and then I'm going to be leading a course on conflict resolution in November and December. And then the third teaching emphasis, which obviously brings us to today, is on marriage. Um, A while back, uh, kind of all at the same time, we had in this church family three marriages all sort of blow up on us. And it's tough to see. I also can tell you that as a pastor, that will get in your head a little bit. I may have gone into Carl's office a few times so he could talk me off the ledge on that one. You know, what are we doing here? What are we missing? We're failing. (laughs) Nothing's working. And uh, it was my wife who happened to know all three marriages. Um, She reminded me, you know, Trav, all three of those couples, they came into our church with, with massive challenges. And that was helpful, but it did not take away from the fact um, that when you, when you see a, a marriage begin to break down and fall apart, it is one of the most heartbreaking things for a church and certainly from the pastor's perspective. Uh, conversely, um, aside from someone professing faith in Jesus Christ for the very first time, Folks, there is nothing that makes a pastor celebrate more than when we see marriages strengthened or re-strengthened and built up Um, because marriage is a blessing. It's awesome. It's a gift. And so that's why we're going to spend this three-part series on it. Um, But I don't want to just leave marriage in the pulpit because like anything we do here, honestly, if it's just handled from the pulpit and it never leaves these doors, it's largely useless for us. In this case, we're also trying to marry this by encouraging our um, co-ed community groups to work through a six-part series called The Meaning of Marriage. And then also beginning in October, we're going to be offering a limited-run nine-part marriage enrichment community group with awesome leaders, by the way, and I'm probably going to tell you a bit more about that uh, next week. Um, So for this morning, though, recognizing that some of us are widowed, some of us are divorced, some of us are barely married, some of us kind of wish we weren't married, some of us have marriages hanging by a thread, some of us are still in middle school and don't know why we have to sit through this. I feel for you guys. You're going to be there someday, Rachel. (laughs) You need this. I want to try and preach in such a way that every age, every life stage benefits um, from this. So if you would, turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. This is the third book in the New Testament. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, we're going to Luke chapter 6. If you're using the Black Bibles, this is on page 863. 
And if you're brand new this morning or if you are a returning guest, um, once again, like Kathy said earlier, welcome. Man, we're so glad you're here. You'll be helped to know that the Bible is not arranged by topic, which might frustrate some of us who would like to see just like some tabs on the side of our Bible there that can just take us to the specific topic that we think we need to improve our own lives. Um, That is not how it's designed. But the way of Scripture, it is put together in a very intentional way um, by our Lord. It's put together in such a way that we begin to see as we work through it this grand story of redemption. How God is reconciling a broken world to himself. So what that means, and the reason I'm talking about the the design of scripture's very structure is because if we choose a topic, say marriage, and we just go to the marriage-ish passages, Genesis 1, Ephesians 5, Colossians 3. If we just go to the passages that are overtly and explicitly about marriage, honestly, we're going to miss the majority of what we need to know about the topic at hand, in this case, marriage. Because marriage is part of these grand cosmic themes like creation, fall, redemption, future glorification. So here in Luke 6, which is not a marriage text per se, um, what we find is instruction that is exceedingly apropos to marriage. This is what's going on. Uh, Jesus has selected 12 men. We call them the disciples. They are basically going to be the leadership team for the New Testament church as it uh, kind of catches like wildfire and spreads out into all of the known world. Um, So that's what uh, this group is called. Jesus takes them and in fact a large crowd with them and they go out. It says in Luke 6 verse 17, I think it is, that they go out to a level place. And so now Jesus gives what we know as the Sermon on the Plain. Um, He talks about loving your enemies. He talks about not having a judgmental spirit and what that means. And then he says something that is hugely relevant for your marriage right now, for your marriage to come in the future. Jesus says something now that if we get our heads around this and we apply this, it will radically alter the way that you argue with your wife. It will completely change the way that you talk about your husband. It will have a transformative impact on the quality of your marriage. So I'm in Luke chapter 6. Turn the page or drop your eyes down to verse 43. And hear now the very word of the Lord. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. Watch this now. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. 
Thus ends the reading of God's word. So I want to organize the balance of our time this morning with, I want to give you three statements that I believe are a accurate reflection of scriptural teaching. Um, check me on this. Keep your Bibles open. Flip around, cross-reference as you listen. Um, uh, let's be uh, not just hearers of the word, let's be doers. Also, first statement, these are all in the bulletin if you find it helpful to take notes. First one, unmet expectations will suffocate our marriage. Unmet se- expectations will suffocate our marriage. Before you were married, or right after you were married, or for those of you who are about to be married, what do or did you expect in marriage? Did you expect a lightning bolt and slamming of doors in the wedding chapel? Did you expect that your spouse would largely exist to meet your needs, but you would not have to expend a tremendous amount of energy meeting theirs. Marriage is the union of two people who arrive toting the luggage of life, right? And in that luggage, there's sin patterns built up from years, you guys know this, and there's expectations. You may or may not know that because our expectations are often just below the surface. They're subconscious, but they are there. As surely as I stand before you today, the expectations are there. Um, my niece Jordan, uh, some, a bunch of you guys know her. She's living with us for a while. Um, gainfully employed in the Commonwealth. Awesome young lady. Also, her 2002 Saturn just died. So we are now in the process of hunting for a new car. Um, We're going to be looking at used cars this week, and as I'm thinking then about used cars and I'm thinking about this marriage series, I'm reminded how Western culture dating is a lot like used car sales, (laughs) right? Because, I mean, our entire culture, the way we're raised is that we are to project the very best, even if the very best is not entirely true, and we are to push to the, the shadows the not-so-appealing or helpful. We do this for a month, we do this for a year, and then we get engaged, and then we get married, and then after a while we go into the pastor's office, and I'm listening as she says to me, Pastor Trav, this is not the man I married. And I am thinking, yes, it is. (laughs) That's exactly the man you married. The man you dated was a fake. It's like one of the, the, um, those burlap bags like you do the potato sack races in, the gunny sack. And we, 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 we bring that in and it's packed filled with all of these desires that we have for our marriage. All kinds of different desires. In fact, they kind of become expectations. I expect that my husband will handle the financial stuff because... That's what my dad did. I expect that my wife will do all of the laundry because that's what my mom did. I expect that my husband will never drink out of the milk carton in front of me. This has been an item of prayer in our marriage over the years. I expect my wife will stop wearing those rainbow pajama pants. For those ladies who have been through a class with my wife, perhaps you've heard of the rainbow pajama pants. 
Do any husbands, do any of your wives have rainbow pajama pants? My wife has rainbow pajama pants. She says, oh, they're so comfortable, Trav. I say they're approximately the size of a six-person tent. (laughs) They're like the Crocs of the pajama pant family. (laughs) What's worse is the pajama pants carry a very clear message. Nothing else will be happening tonight. (laughs) Whenever you see those, you know, all right, we're all just going to go to sleep now. Good night, honey. I love you. Sweet dreams. (laughs) So, what happens when marital expectations don't always exactly meet the circumstances you find yourself in? What happens when expectations of how my spouse will act, how we'll spend the holidays, how we'll manage our finances, when those expectations go unmet. See, when we pull out of that gunny sack that we carry into our marriage, when we take out of that sack our desires, sometimes very, very good desires, and we move them over here, and we pack them into the gunny sack of demands, we have now automatically begun to asphyxiate our marriage. When we take our desires and we start to pack them into the sack of demands, you have begun to suffocate the relationship. How's that, Trav? Well, it's because when desires are turned into demands, we have now established, whether we recognize it or not, a debt-debtor relationship. We have said, sometimes subconsciously, sometimes explicitly, you owe me. And the moment you set up a debt-debtor relationship, you begin to squeeze out trust and warmth and romance. It cannot exist in that environment. So can I ask you guys, before we move any further here? When you think through your own marriage, what are the spots where you're saying, or at least thinking, you owe me. And then, from there, let's think through, what if we abandoned the idea that our problems and our unmet expectations and our frustrations in us are caused by our spouse. What if it turns out there's a bigger problem at work in us? Because that's exactly what Jesus said right here in Luke chapter 6 and verse 43 through 45. He says, For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. Into verse 45, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth Speak. So our first um, statement is that unmet expectations will suffocate our marriage. Second statement on your outline is this. The heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. And man, I know that sounds like bumper sticker theology, but it is exactly what Jesus is laying on the table here. That when it comes to your marriage, your opponent is not on the other side of the bed. Your opponent 
is your very own heart. We need to be, church, regularly and primarily suspicious of self. We need to be regularly and primarily suspicious of self. Have you ever heard the story of the the Backwoods family? First trip into the big city, and they're just blown away by the lights and the skyscrapers. It is and the father and uh, the, the, the mother, rather, and the daughter, they're outside on the street, window shopping, and then it's the father and the son. They pass through one of those big, giant spinning glass doors, and they walk into the lobby of one of those incredible skyscrapers, and they pass through, and they're all looking on, and then they come to a wall, and on that wall is these sets, these pairs of shiny metal doors with little glowing buttons right next to each one of them. And as they stand looking at that wall and they look at like some numbers flashing up high, this old, bedraggled, hard life looking kind of woman walks in. She's got a shopping bag and one of those shiny sets of doors magically opens up and she steps in. And the father and the son, they're watching as this, this old beat up lady walks into that, it's like a small paneled room and then the door is just kind of shut behind her. <laughs> and they're thinking, what is she doing in there? And they just watch for a couple of minutes until, once again, the doors open out. And out comes this incredibly beautiful, fit woman, <laughs> also carrying a shopping bag. And she brushes right past him. And, of course, the father, without ever taking his eyes off that elevator, leans over to the son and says, Son, go get your mother. <laughs> And I love that story because it is such a perfect picture of how so many of us approach marriage. We want to improve our marriage by improving our spouse. She makes me so angry. He lets me down. And I just have to say these things. And it's only, folks, when we bump into extremely inconvenient passages like Luke chapter 6 that we have to pull up and realize, I may have this wrong. I could be, actually, now that I think about it and hear God's word, I could be living right now in the sewer of self-justification because Jesus is saying that the bad stuff that comes out of my mouth originated in my own heart. The bad stuff that comes out of my mouth originated in my own heart, and so few of us actually believe this. I mean, it's a church, right? So most of us are Christians here. Not everybody. Most of us are Christians. And so most of us, in theory, are just going to, by default, believe what Jesus says at this point in our lives. But in the moment, the angry husband almost always believes what he's doing is caused by her. The gossiping wife almost always believes what she's saying is in reaction to him. It's not true. Is not true. I want you to say something with me here, okay? In fact, you, you don't even have to believe it. Just, I just want you to practice saying it for a minute. Say, 
the problem, go ahead, with my marriage is me. See, that wasn't, that wasn't too painful, was it? Let's just, you know, repetition's the mother of learning and all that. Let's just do it one more time. The problem with my marriage is me. All right, let's just put it all together now. Come on, church. The problem with my marriage is me. And even as we say it, I know because you guys are smiling, but it's like that clenched teeth smile. Like, <laughs> I hate you, Trav. <laughs> or at least I don't believe you, Trav. And rising up in our throats, almost the moment we say something like that, we have our inner lawyer. And I want to plead with you to fire your inner lawyer for a moment. The problem with my marriage is me. Does your spouse have problems? Yep. For the vast majority of us, is that what we need to deal with? Nope. Now, this is the point where I have to hit pause and I got to give the qualifier because I know a couple of you are going to send me an email if I don't. <laughs> I love those emails. Now, this is, is it's an important one, right? Because it is quite possible in a room this size, a couple of us are married to genuinely horrible people. That it is possible. And after 15 years of pastoral ministry, I think you guys know I'm not naive. And I know what abuse looks like. And I know what chronic infidelity looks like. And if that is you, your elders, we are here to help in whatever way we possibly can. But 99% of us, the problem with my marriage is me. And yet we can't transform me by dealing with the external. For instance, a few of us went tailgating at the Patriots game recently. It's a nice picture, isn't it? Blues, reds, just some good God-fearing Patriots fans there. (laughs) Unfortunately, one of your fellow church members, a very troubled individual, he actually did this to us. His name is Bob Umenhofer. We need to pray for him. Okay, so you, you got this, I mean, it's amazing work he did. Even the creases on the logo on my chest, it's very impressive. And yet, can we all agree that because I am now wearing a Steelers jersey, it does not make me a Steelers fan? No, it does not, Dan Crowley. <laughs> You're missing the point. Again, we have a prayer gathering immediately following the service. Those of you who have strayed. (laughs) Well, some of us, like you get the point, some of us, we approach changing the heart the way we approach changing a jersey. But when scripture talks about the heart, what it's talking about is to use uh, Paul Tripp's language, author Paul Tripp, is the causal core of personhood. Okay, that's the theology of scripture 
theology of the heart in Scripture. Because when, if you do a word study, and this is not that hard with Bible Gateway or a hundred other websites these days, right? You just do a word study on heart. Even just in the English Bible is good enough. And you can find that when the Bible talks about heart, sometimes it is talking about emotions, often. Sometimes it is talking about hopes, dreams. When the Bible talks about heart, often it's talking about our will, and so, in other words, the whole, when the Bible says heart, it's not talking about the organ, you know that. It's talking about the whole person, the causal core of our personhood. It, the, the human heart is that which steers and motivates and directs our decisions. And so when Jesus says at verse 45, out of the heart the mouth speaks, that means something. It means that when we lash out at someone and then come to our senses to a certain degree and say, "Mm, please forgive me, I didn't mean to say that, actually, you did. It would be more biblically honest to say, please forgive me for saying exactly what I meant. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Tripp talks about, um, as a kid, being at a family reunion when one of, I think it was his uncle, was down in the basement and he was drinking and he was drinking pretty good and talking sexual perversion about all the other women in the room. Of course, when mom found out, she shot to the basement, scooped up her two boys and took him straight to the car, and before she pulled out of the driveway, she leaned over the seat and she said, I'm going to tell you something right now, and I don't want you to ever forget it. And he never did. (laughs) She said, boys, nothing comes out of the mouth of a drunk that wasn't there already. Nothing comes out of the mouth of a drunk that wasn't there already. And if it applies to the drunk, it applies to everyone else, doesn't it? And that ought to give us some pause. It's Luke 6 theology. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The problem with my marriage is not outside of me. It is me. Which means behavior modification won't do the job. It's right in verse 44. We might have just kind of passed over it because it was a little bit obtuse. Figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. I don't even know what a bramble bush is. I had to ask Kathy Taylor. Apparently, it's a blackberry bush. Okay, good to know, Jesus. That's not where I find my grapes. What's he mean? Well, it means that if I go to Whole Paycheck, I mean Whole Foods, (laughs) and I use a lot of my money (laughs) to purchase, like, like two or three carts worth of beautiful, plump, juicy grapes. And I drive them home. And then just with a little bit of fishing line, I tie them all along the shrubs that line the front of my house. And then you walk by, or you drive by, and you glance over, and you think to yourself, wow. This amazing set of grapes Pastor Trav is growing right now. Also amazing that they're growing on shrubs. (laughs) 
That does not look like a grapevine. And of course, the point that Jesus is making is it's not a grapevine because there's nothing in the roots there that's going to produce grapes on the other end. And that illustration, which is right out of verse 44, tells you everything to know about why marriages go wrong. In fact, we could probably add that much of the instruction that we get in marriage conferences and marriage books, folks, it's just grape hanging. <laughs> it's just, if all we needed was uh, you know, coping techniques and better advice, Jesus would not have needed to die. The problem with my marriage is me. But you can't change me any more than you can change a Pats fan with Photoshop or a lawn shrub with grocery store grapes. We need grace. Unmet expectations will suffocate our marriage. The heart of our problem is the problem of a heart. And in the last statement, this one will be quick. Marital disappointment is an opportunity for grace. Marital disappointment is an opportunity for grace. So this is where we're going to leave off this week. This is where we're going to pick it up next week. Do you have desires in your marriage that maybe started in this sack, but they moved over into this sack? The desires somehow morphed into demands. Will you think through it a little bit this afternoon? Will you get alone with God maybe and think through, what do I say in my mind of my wife or my husband? You owe me. Because the gospel promises that in the midst of unmet expectations, in the midst of disappointment, God's grace can come and he can make the messy beautiful. And folks, you've got to believe that can happen in a marriage. That can happen after the marriage is done and gone. In the, in the shipwreck, in the, the rubble, somehow, and we've got a parade of stories in this church where God steps into that stuff, and somehow he still makes the messy beautiful. God's transforming work can take out a heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh. So choose this day by faith to rest in Christ. Because ultimately what we believe about our marriage is going to determine the quality of our marriage. Ultimately what we believe about God is going to inform the strength of our marriage. That's important because someone says, some husband says, Trav, you know, home life isn't great right now, but I'm committed to the marriage. And my brother, I know what you mean by that, but I want to say to you, that is not good enough. Do not be committed to your marriage. Be committed to her because Christ is committed to you. Wives, do not be committed to your marriage. Be committed to him because Christ is committed to you.
for joining us for today's message. Medway Community Church would love to welcome you as our guest one day soon. Our church family meets every Sunday morning for worship and also offers a wide variety of small group and ministry opportunities. To learn more, please visit us on the web at medwaycommunitychurch.org. We look forward to seeing you soon. Washing all my shame.